started. We got quite a bit to cover tonight, but it's going to be good. I have a couple specific things the Lord's talked to me about to share with you, and then we'll kind of get into some discussion. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for, even though it's very, very, very cold outside, we thank you that it's a beautiful day that you have made. And uh, we just rejoice in the fact that we have life, that we have breath, that uh, we have one another, that we have you. And you have given us such a privilege and honor to walk on the earth as your representatives. And um, we just ask the Lord that you continue to help us to um, to receive from heaven just your divine nature, your character, your ways of doing things, that those would be implemented in and through our lives, that our hearts and minds would be shaped by you, and that our lives would come into agreement with heaven, that we would come in such alignment with your heart and with your ways the things that we do, the things that we say, the way we live our lives, Father, would demonstrate who you are to those around us. Lord, we just, we all need your help, and so we ask you, help us, Lord. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, you are a great helper, and that you're present with us, you're here right now, you're here to help us to understand, you're help to help us to implement, you're here to empower us to do the things that, that you're desiring for us to do, and we just yield to you, have your way in us. Have your way in this time. May you lead and direct our discussion time, our teaching time, every part of this. And uh, we just thank you for it. And uh, we certainly never want to come to a class and just talk about you. We want to interact with you. And we want to uh, experience your goodness and your love and encounter you. And, um, and so just have your way in us. And we just give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to read two, two passages in particular, first, and kind of have this as the foundation for what we'll talk about for the remainder of the class. But Psalms 103 will start there, <clears throat> and the other one will be Psalms 145. I'm going to be reading this out of the New Living Translation. I just like the way it says it. Let's start. Let's start in Psalms 103 first. And uh, before we read. Um, let me just throw this idea out here before we go any further. Um, there, are, I've been just kind of listening to worship music, and just the last two or three days, just really um, had some pointed questions towards the Lord. You know, we all go through um, emotional ups and downs. We all go through mental <laughs> blocks, so to speak, in our lives where we have. Or we struggle at times. We struggle in ourselves. We struggle in our thinking. We struggle in our emotions. We struggle in our connectivity. We all have these places or gaps. Um, a lot of times we, I call them gaps where we've, we feel like there's a separation or there's a place where I'm, I'm striving to go deeper or I'm striving to find out where I'm at or I'm striving to where I'm going. You know, we all have these places where the world's message can, can be pressed against us or the things that we're seeing around us, worldviews that we see. Even movies you watch, things that happen, they all, they all speak to us and they all try to align us with a specific viewpoint or align us with ways of thinking or ways of feeling. And, and ultimately, um, the enemy's objective is to disconnect us from heaven's viewpoint, to disconnect us from not only the communion we have with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but to, to disconnect us from the mind of Christ, which causes peace to permeate through our being, causes us to um, to act congruent with the character of God and the nature of God, but it also keeps us on fire. You know, it keeps us passionate. If He can disconnect us, then we lose our passion. And it doesn't take long. You know, me and Chris were talking about it. It doesn't take long after you miss a couple things. How it's easy, just that it becomes your new normal, and um. Just two, two things, two spiritual disciplines that I think are really essential for us in continuing to be reshaped every day by the Lord. First one is, of course, spending time reading the Word of God. We need words from heaven. The Bible says that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And So it's not just enough just to read the Scripture, but it is to invite the Holy Spirit in our time of reading the Scripture and allowing that to form our worldview, or to reshape it, if you will, and to help us to form proper belief system. And so it's really important. That's just the the renewing of the mind. It's really essential that we spend time reading the Word of God every day. And then the second one is praying in the Spirit. 
Um, this, this, what it does is it bypasses our mental understanding. It goes beyond our just what we think we know, and it begins to communicate directly with the Lord. It causes us to pray out the will of God. It, it causes us to interact at the spirit level. And one of the things that praying in the spirit does is it helps bring our flesh under subjection because whenever we give way to the things of the spirit, what happens? The spirit wars against the things of the flesh and brings it under subjection. And um, <clears throat> I have never seen anybody who has backslidden that the initial part of backsliding or being disconnected or pulled away from the Lord didn't start by them first neglecting the Word and neglecting praying in the Spirit. If we hold these disciplines daily, not just for the purpose of mechanism of doing something, but for the purpose of, of relational connectivity, then we will stay true to the Lord. Even if we mess up, even if we miss the mark, even if we have sin in our lives, because all of us do can step into places where we fall out of agreement with how heaven would have us do things. But if we continue in these areas, these two spiritual disciplines in our lives, with the purpose of relational connectivity, then the scripture that declares, you know, he's able. Why is he able? He's able to, to keep us. He's able to produce in us what's necessary. And if we stay connected to the one that's able, we will be enabled to stay that way. And so the other the other thought I had, and we'll jump into this psalm, is um, just about us staying on fire, passionate for the Lord. Of course, this is the spending time in the Word of God, spending time praying in the Spirit. Those are, I believe, give us the two essential elements for fire. What does fire need in the natural? It needs, uh, it needs what? It needs some... Or fuel, some kind of fuel, something to burn, okay? Whether it be logs or coal, natural gas, it needs some kind of fuel to actually burn, okay? And of course, our fuel is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. Just like I said, that we don't, we're not, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that word actually ignites something inside of us, and it causes some, it, as we partake of the Word of God, it gives substance in our being to be ignited. And um, it's really important that we have fuel. Another thing that fuel needs, you can have all the fuel in the, I mean, fire needs. You can have all the fuel in the world, but if you cover it up and take away what? Air or oxygen, then you can have all the fuel in the world, and you can even have a spark, but it will not be sustained because it needs oxygen. And oxygen in the Spirit would be likened to the presence of God. But how many knows that oxygen out here does not equate oxygen in here? In order for oxygen to be taken in, what has to take place? You have to breathe, don't you? Right. You have to take it in. And how do we take in the presence of God? It's through our worship. It's through praise. It's through thanksgiving. It's through rejoicing. When we are aware of the air around us, if we're aware of the presence of God that's with us, what happens, the natural output is you just breathe. You're very aware when you go underwater that the oxygen is not in a form that you can breathe, right? How do you know this? Because you don't go, because <laughs> the moment you do underwater, you, your body says, stop, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> and you're scrambling to get back to the place where you can actually breathe that in. You're, now, you don't think about breathing, do you? It comes natural, doesn't it? It just becomes a natural part of what you do. You don't have to sit there and think, "Oh God, I got to breathe." Okay, you know it, it becomes it's so natural. But the moment you enter into an environment where oxygen is not available, you immediately know it. Immediately, you know it. And this should be the same way where the Christian life is concerned. We should live a life of worship before the Lord. That it's just natural that we honor God, that we give thanksgiving to Him, that we're constantly praising Him, meditating on Him, should it become the natural outflow of breathing in, exhaling. It should be the natural flow of our lives. <clears throat> but the moment it gets shut down, we should immediately know, oh, wait a second, I have stepped out of the presence of God. Now, the Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us, but we have the capacity to resist Him or pull away just in the same way that you know, you can swim on top of water and be fine, but the moment you go under, 
oxygen is depleted. In the same way, as we're swimming through life, if you will, we should immediately recognize, oh, I've disconnected somewhere. And what should our, our, we should scramble just like we would in the natural to get back to the surface so that we can be in His presence. We should find it our goal to get back in the presence of God. Now, does that necessarily mean a feeling? No, because the presence of God, does it bring feelings? Absolutely. But does it necessarily equate to a feeling? Does it necessarily mean that you have to, to feel a certain way to be in the presence of God? No. <clears throat> but, what does the Bible say very clearly about us entering in the presence of God? It gives very clearly in the Old Testament the implications of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And without those three elements at work in our lives, <clears throat> then, <clears throat> then we're not going to have the necessary ingredients to keep the fire burning in our hearts. So if we find our passion level beginning to decrease, it should be increasing, because the more fuel you put on it, the more oxygen you pour it, the hotter that joker gets. I mean, we've got, I've got a blower that we put with a, with a long, long metal pipe. Whenever we're burning anything in, in the backyard of my dad's house, we'll put that blower on the end of that pipe, turn that thing on, and it doesn't matter what kind, you can have wet wood, if you get a spark going and something little burning and you put that air to it like that, it'll burn up a it'll burn up a humongous stump that's full of dirt in about three hours. As long as you got that air forcing in there. And sometimes it's necessary not just to oh Lord I thank you. Sometimes it's necessary to pull away and get the full force of heaven being breathed over you. And so if you find that your passion is 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 being negated, or you're there, you're having pressure from other things in the world. Pull aside and make sure that you turn the blower on. Get in an environment where you can really soak in the presence of God and really stir the flame inside you. And the Bible makes it clear that it's not the Lord's job to stir the flame in us; it's our job to stir the embers in our hearts to get them burning hot again. And so, I want to give you some some scriptures here in Psalms 103 and and 145 that I believe will be um, fuel the Word of God, but it also because these specific scriptures are 103 and 145. Um, these two chapters not only give us fuel that can be ignited, but they also give us the oxygen. It shows us why we praise God. It shows us the magnitude of God. And so let's look at 103 first, verse one. Again, I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. It says. Let all that I am, now this is David declaring this, let all that I am praise the Lord. This is just a declaration. This is really good. Even for us, when we feel disconnected and we feel like all of a sudden our passion is waning, or, or your passion could be increasing, but you want to see it burn hotter. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Notice he's talking to himself. He's saying, no, no, let all that I am praise the Lord. Sometimes you need to have a conference with yourself face-to-face confrontation with you and tell you what you are going to do. Because if you don't tell you what to do, you're going to let something else tell you what to do. And a lot of times that is not going to be the Lord. It's going to be some other voice vying for your attention that's going to dictate what you do. And your flesh is always going to jump up to, to say, oh, let's do this instead, or let's go over here instead, or let's just do, forget about that, let's just go lay in the bed and just cry to ourselves to sleep. <laughs> I mean, you had a really bad day. It can happen, can it? And so he says, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed His character to Moses and His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For His unfailing love towards those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. 
He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been there. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear Him. Notice a a pattern here. His love remains forever. His mercy is always there. His tender compassion. And it's for what? For those who fear Him. Fear Him. And and let me just make a side note here. There came a point in my life that I did things that my father said because I valued and honored him as my father and knew that he had more wisdom than I did. You know, we have this period where we think we know something, and then after we go through some stuff, we realize, oh, I didn't know very much. And we revisit, especially after you have your own children and so forth, you revisit the reality of, oh, they knew something that I didn't know. So there's an honor aspect of fear, but there also is the reality of, man, this is my father, period. And and there has to come a place of a maturation in our own walk with the Lord, that as we walk with him, yes, we do it because we love him. Yes, we do it because our hearts burn for him. Yes, we do it because we value him. But there there is something about the fear of the Lord that causes our heart, even when we don't feel nothing, even when we don't aren't passionate about it, even when we don't want to do something, we do it in response to because of the fear of the Lord has been set in our heart. Because there are times, you know, like like we talked about with Peter, it, with the whole exchange that Jesus had with him, Peter, do you filio me? Do you, I mean, do you agape me? And Peter said, Lord, you know, I feel you. Which is the symbol, I have these strong emotional attachments, this brotherly love, this feeling of camaraderie, this type of thing. And he would he had a hard time responding to Jesus' agape me because agape love is rooted in the fear of God. It's rooted in a choice. It's rooted in I choose you, period. I value and honor and esteem you above everything else. I make a covenant with you. See, that's that's rooted, yes, in love, but it's also rooted in the fear of the Lord, which are really two inseparable things. You know, sometimes people theologically want to pit these two against one another, but they're not. They're not. Because God is love, right? And we talked about that in the last class, that we don't define love by the actions that we see God do. We define love by, because that's who He is, period. And so everything that He does is, is an outflow of who He is. And so love is not defined by the, simply the things that He does, but by who He is which certainly applies to the things that he does and so forth. But if we try to if we try to define love through our own experiences and then apply those to the Lord, we will we will always fall short to the reality of the bigness of God's love for us and the magnitude that his love has towards us. And the fear of the Lord is an aspect of the expression of the love of God that gets formed in a heart that says yes to God in that covenant-type nature of the agape love that that Jesus was inviting Peter into. And so we have this, this reality, the Lord is like a father to His children, tender and compassionate to what? To those who fear Him. But the love of God remains forever in verse 17 with those who fear Him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to His covenant, of those who obey His commandments. The Lord has made the heavens His throne. From there He rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out His plans. Listen for each of His commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve Him and do His will. Praise the Lord, everything He has created, everything in all His kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. So again, it comes back to let all that I am praise the Lord. Let my mind, let my actions, let everything about me, my whole heart, let everything about me praise Him. And of course, that praise flows out of His tender mercies, His compassion, His love, 
that praise flows out of the reality of who God is. And the more we encounter who God is, the more we have praise, the things to praise Him about. And so the deeper we walk with the Lord, the greater our, our ability to praise the Lord should be. Our praise should not decrease through our intimacy, but it should increase. And so one of the, the symptoms, and I'll just use that word, we always think of it as a negative tense, but one of the symptoms of a deepening walk with the Lord should be an outflow of greater and greater praise. We should find that praise is formed on our lips quicker than it was yesterday. And in the same way, our worship or our, the fear of the Lord, which the fear of the Lord and worship are really linked together. Because worship is not a song like we think. Worship literally in the Hebrew is to lay prostate before some. It is a, it is a act of service. It is an act of serving, of, of, of giving oneself over to yielding one's life too. And so when we enter into a place of worship, then that was the inner court, that holy of holies in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle. What are we entering there? Listen, only that person had to go through all kinds of ceremonial cleansings before that priest could enter into that one place. And Jesus, our high priest, he was clean before the Lord, went through the entire process to enter on our behalf in those holy of holies. And when he entered in and his blood was shed, and he became not only the high priest that mediated the covenant, but he also was the lamb that was slain for our sins. And so he was laid on the mercy seat for our behalf so that we could be cleansed. What happened? The veil that separated that where no other human being could enter got split that day that he died. And now we have access to enter into a place of worship that we could not enter before because of our sins. Jesus laid the groundwork and became our mercy seat so we could enter into that deep place of His glory and His presence and abide there. And it's because of His mercy that we're able to do that. And so every time that we step into a place of praise and thanksgiving, what is that leading to? It's leading to that place of worship, of intimacy, of that giving of oneself to the Lord and Him giving. That it's, it's an exchange that takes place between us and the Lord. And worship is that laying of one's life down. What did Jesus say? He said, if any man would follow me, what does he have to do? Lay his life down. And if anyone tries to hang on to this life, he'll end up losing his life. But if he lays his life down for my sake, he will gain eternal life. And see, the Lord the Lord never requires us to lay something down if He doesn't have something better He's wanting to exchange for us. And though the cost of dying to self seems dramatic, and there is a cost to serving the Lord, there is a cost to following after Him, even though it seems dramatic or it seems huge in the scope of reality, in truth, the exchange is is a great deal for us because what we give in exchange for what we receive from Him is beyond any human mind can even comprehend. Like we have no comprehension or dimension of understanding that can fit in the parallels of what happens in the exchange. What we receive from God by giving our lives to Him doesn't even come close to a military, I mean, a small amount of what he re- we receive from him. I mean, there's nothing even comparison to that. It, it'd be like if you became an ant and came down to the ant world and to give them all the knowledge that humans have and to implement everything that we know as humans into the ant world. And even that would not even come close to what Jesus himself did by humbling himself and becoming a man and making the invisible God visible in flesh form to bring us back into relationship with the Lord. And it's because of His mercy. And it's, and it's the mercy of God when we, we behold the reality of what He's done for us that creates thanksgiving and praise. And so as we focus on who He is, as we focus on what He's done, as we focus on the reality of the position that we now have in Christ, what should flow? The natural outflow. Worship, praise, thanksgiving. And what happens when we focus on those realities, man, it ignites a fire in our hearts. 
when we when we see our fire waning or we feel like our passion has just been misplaced or put somewhere else or what happened here you just feel like a flat tire all of a sudden in the spirit you know you're just riding along everything seems fine and now i mean you don't think about your tires when you're riding around but boy if it goes you all of a sudden think about your tires don't you because and in life we're going through life everything seems fine all we're thinking about is the destination that we're going we're thinking about what we got to do what's important our list of things our daily activity but the moment that flat tire takes place it's like that all goes out the window it takes priority and when we feel in our spirit that it's time to pull over, get the thing fixed, and get back where God wants us to be. A lot of times, though, we're very quick to fix the things in the natural like that. But in the spiritual, we we push those things down, even though red flags are, are flaring, there's, there's fireworks going on, we can hear the... You know, we can even get into services and just feel this, this gut-wrenching feeling of, oh, there's separation here between me and the Lord. And what do we do? We push it aside, turn on the TV, or push it aside and try to go do some activity. And we try to fill that void with other things instead of actually dealing with the problem of there's some place of disconnect between me and the Lord. And we, and we know it's not on God's side. Because He never leaves us and never forsakes us. So it's not like we gotta go check out God. God, what's the problem here with you? We can know for certain that there's something in me. There's somewhere down the road. I need to get this thing dealt with. And the Bible makes it very clear. If you come to Him, He is faithful and just to not only cleanse you, but to purify you from all unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? Anything outside of right standing with God. Anything that, that would separate you from being in right standing, right communion, right interaction. He will cleanse you and purify you and separate any of that stuff that's got in there to keep you in that place of connectivity with the Lord. All right? I really like this this part here. Go back all the way up to, to verses 3 through, through 6. It says... Actually, verse 2, it says, Let all that I am I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. May I never forget. That's usually the first place is we start forgetting who God is. When we start slipping, it's because we forgot what He's done for us. Then it says, He forgives all... And then He lists some things. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Man, I love that. It just brings us right back into the right frame of thinking of who God is for us. And usually that's how the enemy gets us. Is Our thinking gets skewed of... Maybe, maybe God isn't like this, or maybe, you know, and a lot of times we don't even think it. It just becomes a sub, a subconscious pattern that gets formed, and we just respond out of that, not even really fully understanding what our thoughts are, or how did we even get to that conclusion? You ever had a conversation, and at the end of the conversation, you thought, how in the world did we get over here? And you try to backtrack that thing, and one thing over here led to another, and another thing over here led over there. And a lot of times we don't realize how we got the flat tire. But you start backtracking. Well, you know, I did go over here to this place. Oh, and then I went to the dump over here. And you know what? There was some there was some stuff scattered over there, and I probably ran over that. And then, and you and sometimes you have no clue. Sometimes you have no clue. You just know it just needs to be changed. Something has to change in our hearts. Something has to change in the way we're thinking. And the Lord is faithful and just to help us if we come to Him. Good word. All right. Let's look at one forty-five and just build on that. Psalms 145. He says in verse 1, he says, I will exalt you, my God and King. So here again, he he is emphasizing, I will. He's telling himself what he will and won't do. And, and, the, and the beginning of any real relationship, with whether it be with the Lord or with anybody else, there's got to be some clear defining of what I will and what I won't do. 
There has to be the clear defining of, of my responsibility and your responsibility. There has to be a clear defining. I mean, when you get a job, what's one of the first things they give you? The job description about what they expect from you. In the same way, we've got to put some expectations in our own heart. We've got to say to ourselves what we expect us to do. You know, God tells us things that He desires from us, but we've got to put a demand on ourselves. How many, how many know God doesn't sit there and beat you over the head when you don't do everything He wants you to do? Does He? Matter of fact, He'll let you keep on going your way, doesn't He? Now, in His mercy, He will pull you in. In His mercy, He will confront you. In His mercy, He'll send other people to say, Hey, man, what's going on? In His mercy, He will do that. But God will not force you to do something. Because whose job is that? Yours. You're the one who has power over yourself. You have control. That's why when we stand before the Lord, we can't blame the devil. We're not going to be able to blame the devil. Say, oh, well, the devil made him do that. Listen, Adam and Eve tried that. (laughs) How did that work out for them? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It didn't work, did it? He put the responsibility of what was on them on them. And so here he says, I will exalt you, my God and King. And there are times where we just have to get up and say, you know what? I will exalt the Lord. I will praise him. I, with everything within me, I will exalt him. And we've got to make those determinations. There have been, there have been moments and even seasons in my own personal life where I had to just literally shake myself and stand up right where I was and had to tell myself what we were going to do, what we were not going to do, how we were going to live, how we were not going to live, and declare who God was in that midst of that situation and call on his goodness to be poured out over my life. You just, there's times where you just got to get really, really aggressive. Especially if there is an aggressive pressure to try to rob your joy and to rob you of your praise and to rob you of thanksgiving. If there's a pressure working on you trying to rob you of that, you have to, you have to get real aggressive back and say, you know, no, 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 we're not doing this. And, and with whatever force that's pressing on you, there has to be an equal or greater force pressing out of you to stop it or it will not stop. Right? I mean, think about it. If you're getting crushed by walls that are closing in, like, you know, in the spy movies when they always say, I don't know where, who builds houses that walls crush you in? I mean, I don't know where that came from, but in almost all these different movies, cartoons, you know, they always get trapped in these mazes. I've never seen one of these. Have you? I think it's in the imagination of people. But the degree that that thing is squeezing in you, you've got to have a more powerful force to push it. Well, greater is he this in you. And if you begin to tap into that relational connectivity with the Lord and press with praise, with worship, with thanksgiving, what happens, you begin to put pressure on the pressure. And this this is what it looks like, where the devil's been pressuring you to try to conform you to his will. When you let the word get in you and it transforms you, what happens? You begin to press on the pressure and what was a trap to ensnare you becomes a pit that he falls in and he gets starts, the pressure gets put on him. Because see, here, here's the thing. As long as we will conform, which is just to, to go with the flow, as long as we will conform, the devil, devil, it's just easy going. But the moment you resist, the Bible says when we resist, what happens? He has to flee. Exactly. The devil don't like pressure. That's why he's putting the pressure on you because he don't want you to put no pressure on him. He he wants the easy route every time. Isn't that what he tries to deceive us with? The easy way, the less the road that's less hard. He's always trying to get us because that he deceives us and works on us based on his character. Okay? And so when we resist or we begin to put pressure on him, First thing he does is, man, he's gone. He's ready to get out of there. And the more you resist and the more pressure you keep putting on him, then it's like, oh, man, I don't want to mess with this person. Not in this way, no more. Notice what happened with Jesus. The Bible says that that Satan came to tempt him, and it says that he was going to come back for another opportune time. But notice, he never came back until the very end there when Jesus is about to give himself over to the will of the Father and give himself even to the obedience of death. You never saw a place where Satan had opportunity. Now, he tried to use Peter, right? He tried to use the disciples in certain situations. And immediately, notice what the moment he heard the voice of the enemy trying to put pressure on Jesus to conform him to the will of the enemy instead of the will of God. What did Jesus do? He turned around to Peter and said, look, Satan, get behind me. 
Do you didn't see Peter jump out like that again, did you? He why because not because Peter got rebuked, the devil got rebuked in that. He wasn't he wasn't rebuking Peter. He was rebuking the voice that Peter agreed with. That was the voice of the enemy. He put pressure against it. And buddy, boom, it was like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Not me. I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to agree with this way. Peter, Peter shut it down, but the devil also shut it down and had to back away. And I think a lot of times is we do not confront the pressure. We just conform to it. We do not put pressure on what's being pushed against us. We just simply accept it as the normal flow of life. I'm here to challenge you. Don't give in to the pressure. When pressure starts squeezing you, when the enemy tries to conform you, when things try to rob you of oxygen, when this tries to rob you of the fuel of God's Word, man, you shut it down and you get the thing right. You make sure that it's in its proper place. You make sure your head's above the water, if you will. You make sure you can breathe in the air of the Lord. You put praise in your lips. Everything within you starts rejoicing in the Lord. I'll tell you, when things get hard, first thing I start doing is I start reminding the Lord of all the things that He's done. And it's not because He forgot. It's to help me remember. It's to help me remember who I am, who He is, and what He can do. And so, because remember what he said in the in the previous um, chapter that we looked at is that I forget not. Because you may not be able to feel right now, but your brain does work good enough where you can remember what happened when the Lord took care of you in the past. And so, there are times when you don't have the emotional energy to try to pump yourself up. There are times when things are, are going on in life, just the, the things, the pressure of the enemy, the pressure of the flesh, the pressure of daily life pressing on you, and you don't, you don't have the capacity in your emotions to just say, rah, rah, re, you know, let's go, have fun, do, enjoy yourself. You don't have the emotional stability to do that. But if you start reflecting on who he has already been in your life, it will begin to fill the void that the enemy has tried to suck out of you. It will begin to fill you up. It will fuel you, and it will begin to give you the oxygen you need, and praise will get on your lips, thanksgiving will get on your lips, and before long, the emotional void that you felt, the passion that seemed like it decreased, bam, it's all of a sudden engulfed in the flames of that relational connectivity that we have with the Lord. So he says in verse 1, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. And so look, notice what he's dictating here. He's dictating, he's dictating, I will, I will exalt you as what? God and King. What does he say? I will praise your name forever and ever. He's dictating to himself. He is declaring to self. This is who you are and this is what you do. I will praise you every day, not on Sunday, not just on class days, but every day I make it a dictate, a, an order, a command, a demand I put on myself. Every day you will praise the Lord. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. I love that. No one can... His greatness is so beyond anything that we could even measure. You know, we can measure quite a bit of things. We can, we can, we can measure that... I, I saw a report there on Yahoo that they found a, a um, what they call a a earth in the inhabitable zone, a, a planet like the earth in an inhabitable zone. And um, it's, it's, in a, it's in a galaxy that's 500, how did it say, 500 million, 500,000? No, it was just 500 light years away. It wasn't even that far. It was 500 light years away, which is far. I mean, that's 500 years that you travel the speed of light to get there. We would all be dead. <laughs> okay, so and then we couldn't even have like five or six generations to get there. It would take a while. And so... 500 light years away is the closest Earth-like planet that's in an inhabitable zone, meaning it's close enough to a sun that's similar to ours that the temperature would be in a place. It doesn't even say that it could be inhabited. They don't know if it has oxygen. You know, the dimensions, they does say it has some water on there, but 500... So we can measure that. At the speed of light for 500 years, we can measure that. 
that's closest. Now we, they have stuff that they've measured out, like that are that are a billion light years away that they've seen with telescopes. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. That, that a billion light years away, you, you, we have no even comprehension of the distance. If we put that in miles, we could fill up pages that would cover this entire church and never even come close. To just the zeros on pages that would be filled out that would cover the entire realm of this property. We wouldn't even come close. That's, that's mind-boggling. Yet, and that we can measure that, right? But here it says, no one can measure His greatness. Oh, that's the God we serve. That's the God who gave His life for us. That's the God who formed a covenant in His Son's blood for us. That's the God who extended mercy even when we were committed high treason against Him by partnering with the devil who rebelled against Him. That's the God who, even in our own rebellion and transgression, had tender, compassionate mercy towards us and pulled us out of a pit we dug for ourselves and chose to lie in. His greatness cannot be measured. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will, listen to this. He said, I, so here he goes back to his I will statements. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. Here comes another I will. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all His creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps His promises. He is gracious in all He does. Listen to this part. I love this. Verse 14. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. And when you open your hand, you satisfy the hungry and the thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything He does. He is filled with kindness. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on Him. Yes, to all who call on Him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love Him, but He destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord. Again, he goes back to the I will. And may everyone on earth bless His holy name forever and ever. That's such a powerful psalm, isn't it? It's full of so much truth and so much power. I mean, just the, the, any time that, because well, what's he doing? He's praising God in everything he's saying here. And you can just make these, you can even take these two psalms that I've shared with you and form your own prayer of praise to the Lord. And just, you don't know where to start, man, just start right here in these two things. There's full of declarations of who God is, declarations of what I will do towards the Lord. There's declarations, and when we declare these things in faith, man, we are going to see these things take place. We're going to see the magnitude of God move, not only around us, but in us and through us to touch and transform the world around Him. I love because here he says, as the result of him praising the Lord... What does he say? He said other people, when he proclaims the kingdom, other people will see him. Other people will hear him. Other people will experience him. And then he goes on to say all the generations. But where did it start at? It started with I will praise the Lord. And do, do we want to affect the nations? Do we want to affect future generations? Well, it starts with, we, you know, and this is, this is my own dilemma. You know, I, sometimes I get... Um, frustrated with am I being effective or am I 
fulfilling everything that God wants me to do, especially when you are in the, the just the mundane, seemingly normal daily task of life. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, man, you know, clean the toilets of the church doesn't necessarily produce a fire in your belly. Unless, unless you do it with praise and thanksgiving. Unless you keep in mind that everything you do is an act of worship to the Lord. See, when we lose sight of that prayer and thanksgiving thing, when we lose sight of that worship aspect of doing everything as unto the Lord, then it's very easy to feel like, oh, I'm not really making a difference. But if we go back to what he says, I will praise the Lord in everything I do. Things that I, I interact with, even you know, wrecking my yard or whatever, I will praise the Lord. Even in those things, we become vessels that not only change our generation, but future generations down the line. Because the beginning of a, a history maker, of a generational changer, of someone who transforms the world around them, starts with, I will praise the Lord. I will yield to Him. I will honor Him. I will value and fear Him. I tell you, and, and where does all that praise and all that stuff come from? From the mercy of God. It's because of His mercy. It's because of His goodness. The I will statement here is different than the I will statement of Satan. Because the I will statement said, I will exalt myself. I will put my throne above God. I will be like God. It was a declaration of what he would do outside of God. This I will statement flows out of connection and, and covenant with God. And so now it's the I will statement that flows because of his mercy. Do you see the difference? One was rooted in selfishness and ambition and pride. The other is rooted in humility and in the reality of truth of who I am in God and my need for Him. That's why it begins the I will of I will exalt God. What did Satan say? I will exalt self. Do you see the difference here? And so what we have is, is, is a correlation of the I will statement for the kingdom versus the I will statement that Satan declared. And it reveals you know, how he fell. And if we will stay on this path of I will praise the Lord, and your future gets brighter and brighter. It's better and better. There's no end to the increase of His kingdom. And there is no place of losing you are triumphant in all that you do. You're an overcomer in all that you do. You are victorious in all that you do. And it begins with the I will exalt the Lord. I will praise Him. And what is that rooted in? It's rooted in His mercy and His goodness towards us. And in that is the secret power to living a life passionate and on fire for the Lord. It's, it is the it is the foundation for all that we do because it began with him. He's the one who started this good work in me, and he's the one who finishes it. He's the one. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. And you know what praise is, don't you? Praise is the highest form of faith because praise does a couple things. But the most unique thing about praise is when you begin to praise, you engage your mind, you engage your emotions, you engage your body, you engage your spirit, you engage your words. When you engage those five things, you're bringing everything you are, like, like he said in, the, in 103, all of me will praise you. All of me, with my whole heart. When we give ourselves fully over to praising the Lord, there's no gate the enemy can enter to rob us of his presence, of his joy, of his goodness. There's no, there's no open avenues to bring us into that place of depletion. Instead, what are we going to see? Continual increase in the kingdom. Again, if we feel the brum, brum, flat tire, pull over, get it fixed. Make sure there's nothing between you and the Lord. He's faithful and just to cleanse us, to purify us. To put us brand new Michelins on there, he knows how to get it right. You know, and they're not the ninety thousand mile thing. I mean, these are eternity. <laughs> he gives us the real deal. You know, that won't wear out, that won't tear up, 
that'll last forever. And that's the God you serve. That's how great and amazing He is. Amen? Amen. Let's just take a moment just to pray. Lord, we just, we come before you recognizing it's because of your mercy we are who we are. And God, where we want to go is a direct result of your goodness and mercy towards us. And we choose to exalt you in this moment. We choose to praise you and to magnify you. That you are our source of life. You are life itself. Without you, nothing has its being. We honor you, Lord. We reverence you. We pray, Father, that our love for you and the fear of the Lord would be established in a deeper way in our hearts. And just as we read in these Psalms, that I will praise you every day. I pray, Father, that we would implement even these spiritual disciplines that are really a result of a life of thanksgiving, of praise and worship, of spending time in your word, because man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We thank you that it is fuel, not only for our thinking and our beliefs, but it is fuel for everything that we do. And when that meets the oxygen of your presence, man, we're going to burn brightly for you. God, that's our desire. Our desire is to burn brightly for You. To be a light in the midst of darkness. To shine brightly for the kingdom of God. And so Lord, ignite our hearts afresh tonight. As we talked about Your greatness, as we talked about Your mercy, as we talked about who You are and what You've done, as we read through these Psalms, God, I pray that there would be a, there would be a spark that would come that would ignite this fuel and ignite the oxygen and cause us to begin to burn brighter than ever before. It's our desire, Lord, to not live by the passions or the dictates of the flesh, but to live by passion and dictates of the Spirit. It's not that we become passionless when we give ourselves completely over to You. No, our passion increases. And so, Father, every mindset and every belief system that said, when I served God, I became cold or hard or just mechanical, man, that those would wash away. And Father, that we would see that the desires that come out of prayer, even though they may not look like, sometimes they don't look like biblical stuff or religious things. Many times it's in those places that our fire can burn brightly. I know just even for me personally, Lord, just playing basketball doesn't look like a spiritual exercise, but there are things in that place that I can praise you that causes my fire for you to burn hotter. Even though that's an insignificant thing, you Take the desires that are in our hearts and you cause your word and your life to shine forth in those places. And we can become light in specific areas of influence. And I thank you, Lord, you've placed desires in every one of our hearts. Help us, Lord, not to forsake you in the midst of pursuing them, but in pursuing the desires you've placed in there that we would bring you to the forefront through our exaltation and praise of you. Help us, Lord, not to get like Satan and try to exalt self on ambition, selfish desire. But as we declare, I will, it will flow out of praise and worship for you. And as a result, we're going to burn brighter and hotter for you. And we're going to be able to change nations, change generations of people, not just in this lifetime, but generations to come. I thank you, Lord. There is a mandate on everyone in this room to walk as history changers, history makers, Thank you, Lord, that everyone has the capacity in this room to reveal who you are in the earth. And so I bless them, and I thank you for just... There's flat tires that they came in with today. I thank you for the exchange that took place even through the Word. And as they yielded those things, I thank you, Lord, you're fitting them with the proper the proper equipment that they'll be able to roll out with you and go where you say go, do what you say do, and they'll be able to not... Not have the clunk, 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 and riding on the rim and sparks flying everywhere thinking, what in the world is going on? But they find themselves perfectly fitted together for your purpose and for your plan. So I just thank you for the cleansing, the purifying work that you do. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.